Hello, Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And today we are back with season 16 of Star Wars in a Galaxy. It's been a while since we've recorded episode one, but we are back with episode two, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Jacob, anything you want to say before we get our guest on to talk with us about part two of Obi-Wan Kenobi? No, bring on the guests. Let's do it. All right. From the Galactic Podcast, it is our good friend of the show, second time guest on Star Wars in a Galaxy. It is Lauren Romo here. Lauren, welcome to the, back to the show. I think this is the first time you're, you've been on with Jacob. I think I did a theme between themes with you a few years ago, but. Yes. Yes. That sounds correct. That nice does sound yeah. correct. Yes. Hey, Jacob. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm very excited to be here. Talk about Obi-Wan Part 2. Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 2. Too. What an what a spectacular episode mm-hmm. of Star Wars television. Jacob, do you want to give us a quick summary of the episode before we begin? Sorry. Obi-Wan tracks the kidnappers to the planet Dayu and encounters the con man Haja Estri, the fake Jedi. Now Haja directs Kenobi to Princess Leia's location, where he defeats the kidnappers and he manages to rescue her. However, the Grand Inquisitor learns that Obi-Wan is in the city on Dayu. And locks the entire place down. Now, now he t- he tells Riva to leave Obi Wan alone and not to go after him. But Riva disobeys the orders and sends out a signal to all the scum and villainy of Dayu that and that there's a bounty on Obi Wan. Leia actually sees the one of these holograms, one of these bounty holograms, and she actually susses out that Obi Wan is the real reason that she's there, as she says, and she tells him. That uh, she she says you uh, you're the reason I'm here. I can't trust you anymore. I, I'm only bait, and she runs away from him. So he follows her onto the rooftops, and Leia tries to jump from one roof to another, but it's too far, and she falls. But Obi Wan taps into the Force and saves her from falling to her death, which kind of regains her trust since she was saying you're not a real Jedi, you're not a real Jedi, and now lo and behold, he is a real Jedi. Haja Estri finds them again and gives them instructions to an unguarded cargo port from which they can escape. But Riva still follows them. Aja cannot stop Riva, unsurprisingly. And Riva, while she while she's closing in on Obi-Wan, reveals that Anakin is Darth Vader and that he is still alive. Kenobi is absolutely shocked because he, of course, thought Anakin had died 10 years ago. The Grand Inquisitor arrives to arrest Obi-Wan, but Riva turns on him impales him with her lightsaber, and in the process, unfortunately for them, allows Kenobi and Leia to escape. And finally, we get that one-shot Darth Vader awakening in his back to tank. What an episode. What an episode. It's episode two, part two of Kenobi. Lauren, actually, I feel like I I need to ask you this. Were you at Celebration 2022? I was in Anaheim, California. Did you see this episode? I was not lucky enough to be in the room when they did that, but my I was there, me and my roommate, Kate, Katie, we watched it in our hotel room on our phones because, just a quick, really random story, I brought, like, my Apple TV thing to connect it to, like, the hotel TV. Did not work. So we had of course to use, it didn't. So we had to use our cell phones and watched it. So it was an interesting experience, but I mean for this episode this is the one, you know, cuz it was a two-part drop, right? So this is how that 
the that episode, the second episode ended, and you were just like, oh wow. Didn't hold anything back. They brought Vader. They brought the whole vodka tank that Hayden in there. So it was really interesting. It was a really good episode. So I'm really excited to talk about it because there's a lot of good stuff in here. I honestly cannot say I remember the first time I watched this episode. So I think I told the story last episode. I did not realize that. So I was in. So we were at Anaheim for the last two days. We did not see Obi-Wan at the panel. And because I knew they were showing Obi-Wan at the panel, I decided I'm going to stay off the internet for the rest of that night, not knowing that they would drop it early that night. So Right, I, that was the thing. I forgot about that. They dropped yeah, it early. They dropped it early, and I just didn't know. So I was I woke up that morning because I was just so excited to go, go, get down to Celebration l- later that day uh, at like 4 a.m. or something like that. And I watched those two episodes, and I that viewing session was just literally me, literally a few feet behind where I am now, just sitting on the couch and just watching this thing. I don't remember much from the first watch along. I like I remember seeing Alderaan for the first time. I remember seeing him in the desert and all that kind of stuff. I I do remember the Vader stuff for the first time. But honestly, so much of that is a blur. Even though I have gone back and watched this since then, but wow, this is su- just such a. A little spoiler from my opinion about this episode, which is that somehow this is my second least favorite episode of this season, and I still love it. I still have very little to criticize about it. That is how immaculate this show ends up for me. That is how just over-the-top good it ends up for me. Yeah, I enjoyed this episode as well. I feel the, the first part one was certainly didn't lack for being exciting not to say that but it did feel the warm-up in a way putting all the pieces in place of just the playing off the just the awe and the emotional payoff of seeing people like ewan mcgregor be obi-wan again and uh, jimmy smith's i believe yep is uh, that there we go as bail again and i feel like this episode is like all of a sudden so much anticipation all of a sudden boom we're off to the races the the chase through uh, chase through a Dayu, the the amazing kind of vice space meth lab <laughs> making badass yeah. that always really cracks me up it's a very it's a very enjoyable episode i'm not totally sold on the way and this is my one big gripe about all of kenobi's i'm not totally sold on how they parse out the overall time and attention of the show i feel hey it, the stuff of the show that's what's the most compelling about this show is to me obi-wan and leia their relationship and obi-wan's emotional journey we we should get a little more time just to see that unfold i get that this is a modern fast-paced show but it should be able to breathe a little bit more that part of the story in my opinion let's get into it uh as a whole um i just want to first say that that no one can ever convince me that the opening intro for Obi-Wan Kenobi is not the best intro we've ever seen for anything Star Wars. <laughs> like the sand melting into, I think I, I, I will probably with, as uh, I, I will look back at the end of the season. I will have com- uh, commented on, I would have commented, I will have commented on the intro six different times during this season, probably seven, <laughs> honestly, because I love it so much. It's it. I just love it, and I can't like. I I just can't not mention it. But no, we have, we first step on to Dayu, which is the planet that's right behind me that I have my screensaver right now, 
which I have to first give a uh, shout out to our good old, or to our friends, Alden and Jerry and Michael and Jared and Dan, who run a series, an RPG series called Ionized Bastard, which I love. And one of the characters, Alden's character, Saab Orsheen's his office is on the planet of Dayu. So I was watching, I was looking around this episode just to see where I could retcon Bob Orsheen's office in. <laughs> also the first episode of season two of Ionized Bastards, which came out pretty recently, starts on the planet of Dayu. Fun little detail there. But yeah, no, it's this very, I think, I believe Deborah Chow said she modeled it after Tokyo. I think that's what she said. That makes sense. It definitely has that Tokyo feel to it, for sure. I could see that. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Oh, no, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Okay. Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong. Yeah. (laughs) Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, And it's this... I I love the immediate contrast it sets up from Tatooine. We have these two very distinct planets from each other. We have... And I love... I also like that... Nikki last episode was talking to us about how oh this was this is maybe one was in his opinion one of the productions that was the most impacted by COVID, and I thought this episode masked that really well because it did seem like they were going through a lot of large bustling crowds. This one this episode I know that Obi Wan Kenobi gets gets a lot of flack for the volume and its usage in this series. Maybe I'm not as good at seeing it. I don't know what it is, but I think it looks fine. I really do. I think it looks fine. I think that I know there are some other stuff with some of the stormtroopers in part four, I believe it is, that people are like, eh, and I get that. Or part five, I think it is. Yeah. At part five, where, where, where people are like, is that all the stormtroopers? But I understand if, if people feel differently. I definitely feel like there's moments maybe not necessarily to me not necessarily in this episode there are moments where it feels like the technology maybe isn't fully all the way there yet but i really enjoyed dayu at least i thought that like you said i thought it was cool that we had obi-wan of course as soon as he decides to get back in the saddle he goes to everything he's unaccustomed to everything he's uncomfortable with from what we know about him in the clone wars in in the even in the originals he, he calls he calls moss espa the wretched hive of scum and villainy obviously extremely famous line he doesn't like places like this he doesn't ha- like hanging out with big crowds of people with the characters of maybe various varying levels of repute that's not really his thing at all so it, it it's cool to see his discomfort with what's happening and his kind of the journey that he's taking of taking this big step back into this world that he has left behind and given up on that's borne out and mirrored a little bit in the setting in which they're in and the way that he interacts with it which i think is a cool way to a cool way to set things off yeah i I agree with you jacob it's an interesting contrast between again Tatooine that Nikki talked about last week versus this type of environment. And it's nothing that we've seen in Star Wars before. You could say maybe Coruscant. But that even has a different feel than what Dayu has. Absolutely. You could also argue, I guess, Canto Bite, but even that's one yacht, basically, and like one city that we see like clearly on a 
a planet that is not like this seems all consuming of uh, right. the city and the terrestrial and and then to your point too Jacob about Obi-Wan and how he interacts with this environment you can tell it's very again the situation obviously he's trying to find Leia right but he is very it's he's uncomfortable a little bit right trying to navigate through this new planet that maybe he's as far as we know he's never been to before and trying to weave his way through it without showing himself as a Jedi or showing who he is, it's interesting to see how, how he plays it off. And, and Eli, I think you're right, too, where you you brought up the impact it had post-COVID. It's interesting that, like you're saying, it seems like it had a decent crowd, right? But they managed it very well. And they I think they used even little tricks, too, like when he was yeah, going through the meth like- lab. They had him, yeah. And then they would have him like wearing a mask right through the meth lab. So like they did little things that like helped that they could get through it, push through the process that you know what what they had to go through production wise going through that time. And and then again, the volume. I think both you guys hit on it. It's a ever evolving technology, and at the time, it was probably better than what we had seen it before. But now having seen it. And Mandalorian season three, or even Ahsoka, you see how yeah. it's gotten better. So, yeah. it, it for the, for its time, I think it, it worked really well, and, I, and especially in this episode, I agree with you, Jacob. It was hard for me. It was even because I'm one of those. Sometimes I can tell like where it ends and begins, like depth versus the front and everything. But this did a really good job. I think it did a really good job of blending everything what the volume can really use and do well, they used it to its potential and they did a really good job with it. I think in that respect for me anyway. I really don't, and I really don't um, like or agree with, and I'm not saying that either of you have perpetuated this at all. I think quite the opposite. I really do just want to say that I, that I quite hate the volume bad discourse that Mm. seems to perpetuate many parts of this, of the Star Wars fandom. Agreed. When we had like, when really the first time people started noticing the volume, from my recollection, the first time people started noticing the volume was in the third Star Wars series with it. We went two entire seasons of Star Wars television with no one noticing it. And then the speeder bikes ran too slow in Book of Boba Fett, and the chase was awkwardly paced in part one of this, and there were too few stormtroopers in this, and then suddenly everybody was acting like it was the problem the entire time. I just think that, as Lauren said, and I really do think this is true, it's an ever-evolving technology. Star Wars has been no stranger to being on the cutting edge of technology and utilizing it for its storytelling. And I think that it... I think it's... I I think people need to give John and Dave and Deb now more credit in the realm of the volume because, again, it is an extremely new technology. The Mandalorian was literally the first show to use it. And it is like a, like we, they've made pretty clear that we have not gotten close to the limits of this thing. That it is such a, I can't help but be transfixed by the volume sometimes really just because it's just so crazy. (laughs) So now, especially movie studios, not just Lucasfilm, right? A lot of the Marvel stuff is shot on that now. Yeah. The Batman was shot. Some of that was shot on it. So yeah, like you're saying. And and ever, even, ever evolving. I, I remember specifically people were like, oh, thank God Andor is not shot in the volume. 
That's not true. Au contraire. We know that Mon's apartment was shot in the volume. Everything else wasn't, but Mon's apartment was. Mm-hmm. And nobody could tell. I, I, and and I agree with what, what both of you are saying, but I think as well, I think um, it's not a matter necessarily of, of saying that the to disagree somewhat. I don't think it's a matter necessarily of just saying the volume is bad, but rather it is a technology in its infancy, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, how do the directors and how, how do we decide to use it? And I, I think that we saw it being used maybe less effectively, at least in my opinion. Still very effective most of the time, but maybe less effective than it had been in The Mandalorian, in moments in The Book of Boba Fett, moments in Kenobi. But I think you're right. I think that just blaming the volume is not necessarily the solution. I think that ultimately, Lauren, like you said, Eli, like you said, this is Star Wars. It, pushing the technology of making movies and now TV forward and introducing new technologies and new techniques that's in star Wars's DNA since the very beginning. And for better or for worse, I think the price to pay of that is sometimes things don't always look perfect. Sometimes things don't necessarily hold up the eye test on the second watch through the prequels nowadays, sometimes get a little bit of grief parts of them don't look extraordinary to the modern eye and yet we know what they did for the industry but i think that i wonder if we'll look back on these early works that that use the volume extensively in the same way because i will admit it's really hard to tell for me but there are moments when i think to myself i know like i know star wars can do better than what I'm seeing right now in, in this show and in, in Boba Fett and moments. And that's not to say that I want to rag on him or, or say that it's necessarily the volume's fault because it could be any number of things. It could be the unionization situation with any number of other, the costuming department, the art department, things like that. Um, I'll cut myself off, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you guys. It's not really the volume's fault it's how we use that technology i think some of it too real real quick but i think it depends too on the environment right like when you're on tatooine it's just sand and like hills so there's not much like when you're on a more isolated planet like the planet in the passenger Um. right so but when you go into an environment like this like dayu you can really i think get good perception depth perception and show that city sky skyline and everything and it's gonna look good and i think jacob you really nailed it i think and we're all talking about the evolution of what star wars has done in the special effects like realm of it think back to even to the original star wars right let's be honest even when i watch a new hope it's it looks dated. Let's not kid ourselves. Like it's, it's from it's, 1977. It's, exactly. But then you juxtapose, you juxtapose that though when they go to the prequels. Gee, that's the big kind of thing that was going. And it, at its time, it was good. But then again, you watch it back. You're like, okay. But again, because of what they did, how many movies have we all seen now that are CGI, blue screen, green screen? Yeah. Because of George. Yeah, and because, because of, of the because of what he wanted to push and now this is like his 
symphony. This is what he's always wanted to be able to do, right? Like the volume is like where he always wanted to go with his stuff, right? To be able to do what they're doing. And again, it for this episode, especially on Dayu, it looked fantastic for me. Again, especially at night, it looked really good. I think, again, that's even, again, to do day and night stuff, that's got to be tough too. But within the setting that they are in this episode, I loved it. They did a really good job using the volume at that time. And it looks good to me. And like you're saying, Jacob, I agree. It's hard for me to see it, but like when I do notice it, I notice it. It's hard not to see it, but they do a really good job of blending it, though. They really do. I, I think they do a fantastic job. For me, it's just, and I'll just wrap this up by saying this, which is, Return of the Jedi, God love that movie. It's my favorite Star Wars movie. But you see some that Luke kick at Jabba's palace. <laughs> the fandom kick. The, the infamous, horse kick. The inf- yeah. the infamous the, kick. That kick, horse m- kick makes me so forgiving to any, any and all future Star Wars VFX stuff. Like, if I can forgive that, which I can, like, pretty much, yeah, so what if the environments look a little bit? Agreed. But I, I do just want to say, because we were talking about like, Lucas's tendency to push things forward, I do just want to remind people, and again, I'm preaching to the choir here because I'm sure our listeners know this, but George Lucas looked around and didn't see any viable VFX companies for his for a new hope in 77 and said fuck it i'll do it live and made his own vfx company like, and look what they are now ilm the is absolute the absolute they like, do everything they are almost in everything yeah. any movie any yeah special effects stuff they're part of it uh, like easily you'll see in the credits ILM, yeah. ILM, ILM. But they're part the of absolute it. just manic energy of I'm gonna do this myself, and he did that by the way with Skywalker Sound as well, uh, with Lucasfilm Animation Studios for the Clone Wars originally. That was built it. from the ground, freaking up. I love it. I love it. It's great how Star Wars pushes the technology forward. I want to see. I want to talk about what we start to see on Dayu with our first little cameo, which is which. Hey, internet, this is actually how you use the word cameo. Which is, which is Obi Wan walking up to Obi Wan walking around Dayu, and then he sees somebody slumped against a pole. You have a few credits to spare for a veteran, and you zoom in, and it's Temora Morrison, when and Ewan McGregor acting opposite each other, even if for ten seconds, for the first time in now in seventeen years. Which is just incredible. We've since learned from the excellent book that I have in the other room, Dawn of Rebellion. Lord praise Pablo Hidalgo and Emily Shikokani for providing those great details for Obi-Wan Andor that I've so wanted for quite a while in that new book. We now know that that clone trooper's name is Nats. Um, He's survived Christophus, I believe. I believe it's Christophsis. I know I, I I don't know if it's Christophsis. I know it's Teth and I know it's Umbara. I know he survived Umbara. So he was so he survived Palm Krill, so I think he's unstoppable. What <laughs> <Look>, that guy. <laughs> yeah. But I legitimately I think I tweeted this a while ago. I'm like or I think no, I think I I uh, texted a friend about this. I'm like, Lucasum, hey Eli, which m- male characters with the DNA of Django Fett. Do you want Temuera Morrison playing 
in Star Wars. Me, yes. <laughs> I want him to be in as much Star Wars as humanly possible. We've saw, we've seen Django, we've seen Rex. I want to see the Bad Batch. I want to see. We've seen Boba, obviously. I want to see Django again. Do it all. Pay that man what he what he wants, and get him in as many Star Wars projects while we still have the time. Because he's what in his early sixties now. He'd do it, obviously. He's yeah. having a ball. He, he, he loves, that's the other thing. He loves this shit. He loves yeah. it. Yeah, I, saw, I remember I, I saw him. Up, he was doing something up on stage at one of the main stage at Celebration, the one where you can just go up at any time where it's not really any scheduled events. He was just messing around up there, man. He he looked like he was having such a good time. I I don't know how. I feel so so lucky that we have a lot of actors and stars like him who are really into this shit because I feel like it could get pretty pretty tiring as yeah. dealing with a fan base as a as it's passionate. <laughs> And it's toxic. Let's, let's, well, we'll say the we'll say the T word. It's toxic. T word. <laughs> we will say the T word. I've gone through way too many tweets of Star Wars theory recently to not say the T word. Whoa, anyway. Whole whole other episode. <laughs> whole other episode. There. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But um, I, I thought it was. I thought it was really interesting that they did this though. That I was definitely caught off surprise when they brought in like a a veteran Clone War guy, Clone Trooper struggling on the streets i thought it was a really interesting choice to put that in this show and have that interaction with obi-wan but it makes so much sense because he interacted with the clones a ton as we know yeah, absolutely. so like the thing that struck me the most is that last time he saw clones they tried to kill him right he was killing and... them on uh coruscant he, when him and yoda yeah, he, went he back to the I oh, some, yeah. Yeah. For some reason, often that part of the movie where they go back, the part of Sith where they go back just slips through my brain sometimes. So I, oh, I so I think, oh, he survived Utapau, then went straight to Tatooine for some reason. No, or not went straight to Tatooine. He survived Utapau, went straight to Mustafar, and then went to Tatooine. He didn't see clones. But no, you're absolutely right. He was killing them. There's that, there are those great memes where... Um, <laughs> I feel good. Rex, come on. We cannot kill these people. They're good people. And, and Yoda's like, okay, come here, you little shit. Yoda just going, absolutely. I can't get that image out of my mind. In, in the semi in the background while Obi-Wan's doing something in this one shot. I can't remember. Yoda just going absolutely berserk on some horror clone. <laughs> just just un unbelievable stuff. It's great. Yeah. Another fun, the other fun Easter egg I wanted to point out that happens in the very beginning. Actually, this is the third one too, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Was that woman who approaches Obi Wan at the beginning, who is played by Esther McGregor, who is who is Ewan's daughter? I gotta say, the McGregor family is doing really good, great for themselves in Star Wars these days with Ewan <laughs> returning as Obi Wan, with Esther getting this brief little cameo, and then of course with Mary as Hera and Ahsoka. Right. They're having a good few years. Um, they're they're thriving. Yeah, they're thriving. Sure. And the and the irony of Esther McGregor saying to her own father in character, I was somebody's daughter once too, is definitely lot not lost on me this time. I I totally missed it on the first time. That's a line. That is a line. That, that is a, <laughs> a line said by Esther McGregor to her father in character is just right. It's a little very meta. It's meta. very meta. It's extremely meta, and I love it. Yeah. And he played, they played it so well too. Like 
that had to be like a very i can only imagine for you and his daughter to be on a set like that and to be in a show like this and for her to have that little cameo right that's got to be such yeah. a cool thing for him and her to experience so that yeah that's it's a nice little touch that again it's not like Deborah Chow had to do that, right? No, it's, they, it, they're not. probably yeah. like, "Hey, what do, would you yeah. mind?" Or it's also cool? exec producer on it, so I'm sure. True, he, fair, <laughs> fair. On, it, it, input on that, but no, that there was a moment, and I cannot believe this is the first time I'm using this meme in in this season, because it seems so strange to me that it didn't come up at all in our last uh, episode, which is that normally. She sees her dad as you and as somebody she knows that. But probably that probably on that set, she probably gone to her place for the beginning of the scene. And she just looked around and she said she probably just said to herself, It's fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. That'd be really funny. If I have time to edit that line in, the clip in from Graham Norton's show, I will. Rent free in my brain. That will always live rent free in my brain. It's one of the best. It's one of the best it, clips. It's it's great. Then we get, of course, to Haja Estri, which I gotta say, when I first heard that Kumil Nanjiani was going to be in Obi Wan Kenobi, my eyebrows raised a little bit. I was like, not that he's not a great actor, and not that he's not a very funny guy and a very comedian. I'm just like him and Obi Wan. But I, I'll say it; he surprised me. He definitely surprised me. I loved it. I, I he was so good. <laughs> like it is such a perfect character almost like for him to play like a con man playing a Jedi. Like it just feels like that's up his alley and something that he could really sink his like comedic chops into and really 100%. play it up. So yeah. I I loved it. And it's such a it's a fascinating concept too for someone to portray and pretend to be a jedi right when you know or you would think people understand that's a dangerous thing to say or to yeah. act especially right? on a, that's like a bold move interesting like an interesting con for this character to come up with for haji to be like i'm gonna play a jedi but i'm gonna act like i'm gonna have the magnets the remotes i'll have a big thing like in and for them to think that's a good idea in that environment, <laughs> it's a fascinating. Yeah. I think that was just like what I was watching it earlier, and I was just like that for some reason that caught me. I'm like, that's just a fascinating concept for somebody to think of, you know, in the galaxy to be like, I'm gonna play a Jedi, a fake Jedi. That's just a bold. That's a bold con, man. And clearly, Absolutely. he was doing it pretty yeah. well. <laughs> clearly, yeah. he was doing it pretty well. Yeah, what Lauren, I specifically. I think you bring up a great point, thank you, Lauren, about like how da dangerous potentially it actually is. And I, I have very mixed feelings about Aja Estri and his role in this episode because, on the one hand, I love Kumail Nanjiani. I was a huge Silicon Valley fan. I was Good watching show. that a few years back. That he did an amazing job. It, if, if you haven't watched it, go watch the Big Sick, fantastic movie. And I love what he does. But I felt like. I wasn't sure that it felt like the right decision for this episode, for the overall cohesion of the episode, to have him be so funny. And I, mm. I, I loved it. Like, in isolation, I did love that. 
but also I feel like the actual concept of what we're dealing with here of Obi-Wan, a fallen Jedi in hiding, everyone thinks all the Jedi are dead. And he actually sees someone using like his, <laughs> exactly. like his religion, like you get to make it feel personal. Else, see someone use like his religion. Like, how would that make me feel something like that? And then I was thinking, man, like they don't really get into like necessarily as I think that, they could what an intense experience that must be for him how that affects him and makes him think about everything that now you have the only jedi the jedi are supposed to be the symbol of hope and justice in the galaxy and now the only jedi these people are ever gonna know until he shows up is this guy who's a con man and yeah i, I love that i love how funny kumail is i think he he does a great job for sure with the role and how they they seem to want to do it but with that being said I don't feel like if they had taken it in a more serious direction, they could have gotten something potentially even better. And I wish they'd done that also for the sake of, I, I, I feel like it, I don't know. It takes us too far out of the sense of urgency that we have, that, that it's injecting so much levity. But with that being said, I think props to Kumail Nanjiani. It's an awesome character, but I, I wish that they had done it a, bit differently and it ultimately proved to me proved to be maybe too much of a good thing how how, how is it too much of a good thing I, I just think that if they had toned down the the humor i think that and taken it in a bit more of a serious direction they could have gotten to some like i was saying you know, and going off of what Morin was saying about the decision to be a jedi con then and how it affects obi-wan and his emotional response to it knowing what knowing everything that he's gone through to see someone like be an imposter using the name and the trappings of the jedi in such a way i feel like they could have gotten something even better had they taken it in a more serious direction that's what i mean i guess it's an interesting idea jacob because i think i i, I see what you're saying as far as if you tone the the comedy just a bit you can get a little more of a serious tone, obviously, and that would really change, I think, a lot of scenes between them. And I, I think that, that would have been an interesting choice, too, to really pull the effects it's having on Obi-Wan more than just him seeing some lackey, right, trying to be a Jedi and playing it as a con and as a, again, as a funny guy, which Kumal does a, a great job of. But I see what you're saying, where if you tone that down just a little, pull up the seriousness, you could maybe dive into that idea that you're talking, like you're talking about, that we're talking about, of, you know, the effect it has on Obi-Wan, and then just the choice of that character wanting to do that, right? Because he could have played any other type of con man, right? But he chose to be a Jedi. So, like, why did his, like, why did Haji feel like portraying a Jedi was the best? way to do what he was doing and i think that and i yeah. think it plays out if you think about it obviously later on in the series not to get too far but like he was you know he you know he was doing it for a good cause as we know like he was trying to get these kids that have um the force he was trying to get them in a, a safe place so he had good intentions but also he had the greed right and he wanted he was doing it for the money as well <clears throat> and i think that's again if you wrap that all up that's an interesting character Right, yeah. it's a very fascinating yeah. character. 
if they could if you had more time obviously with the series it's limited and yeah, it's not his show ultimately. right but man i would love thinking about it now man i would love a little bit of a background on him like why those choices again that's just maybe selfish me but you could really pull a lot of stuff from that though i think for sure for me it's a lot of, i just feel like there's a lot of these characters especially haja i feel like, are pulling things to obi-wan because obi-wan of course his arc in this is a lot about finding himself again and for Obi-Wan to go go onto a planet and see somebody who looks like a Jedi, but is not a Jedi, it, it's an interesting, I, I like that interplay of, okay, so that's not a Jedi, but who gives you the right? What gives you the right to say what a Jedi is anymore? You've been hiding out on Tatooine for 10 years. You have cut yourself off from the Force. Do you even get to say what a Jedi is anymore? And if you do, then what are you going to be as a Jedi? And it's, fa it's fascinating, yeah. We see yeah. Leia challenge him on this as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other yeah. thing. That, yeah. that I think Leia does that as well. Of, of, by this is another thing I was going to say later on, but I'd written my notes. But by challenging Obi Wan on, on you're not a real Jedi, by not believing in him. Leia causes Obi-Wan to go to further go down the path of believing in himself again. Mm -hmm. Where she called Obi-Wan's bluff. He had to reach into the force to to catch her. And only when he believed and when she believed did the episode go more smoothly for them. I, and I think, too, kind of going off of what you're saying, too, Eli, is that Paja even pushed, obviously, Obi-Wan into seeing that it's important for him to come back, right? It's important for him to believe in the Jedi again, believe in what he believed, right? Because if not, he's staring at a guy that is not, as he knows, not what a Jedi stands for, Right. Like, yeah. he sees a guy that's just playing games and smoking mirrors with people's and taking money from them, right? This whole idea of him, that scene, it really struck me today when I was watching it. That scene of him watching Hajra do what he was doing. Just to think Obi-Wan must have been so, like, fuming to yeah. know that, man, this is not what we are about. And these yeah. people believe him. And it's yeah. just, and then for him to, again, for him to call Hajra out, and to do that, I think, again, with Leia then later on pushing him, I think, like you're saying, Eli, it pushes him to become more, to believe in himself more, right? It's the whole start of that journey that we see. I put in my makes... notes about that. I put in my notes about the that confrontation with Haja at the very beginning of, I love the delivery of, goodness, that light is unforgiving. But, <laughs> yeah. Right, that he plays with the with it. It's great. Long is, and, is hilarious, yeah. And that is, a, that is something that I believe that Obi-Wan as a character probably should be able to say. Mm -hmm. But at this point, who are you to judge somebody on the being a Jedi aspect when you have not been doing, not been putting in the hours over the last 10 years? For an understandable reason. Again, Obi-Wan is my second favorite Star Wars character of all time, just behind Yoda. Love this character. But th this is a test of if he can get back to being who the galaxy thought he was in the war. 
and, and before, the Jedi overall, right? Yeah, to, yeah, and the Jedi and the Jedi overall, and I right. think that's the arc of he is still holding out hope for the children, and I think he's well guided to hold out hope for the children, but in order for what the what in order for what the children represent to work, what the children do in the future also needs to work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Obi-Wan starts believing in that until this episode. Yeah. And one more thing before we move on, one more thing about Haja that kind of makes his character, since we're on the topic vaguely, more interesting at the end is he's not just an opportunist. Like maybe he is a believer. But Lauren, like you said, like of all the things he could have done, being a Jedi, certainly not the lowest profile option <laughs> if the Empire comes knocking. Right. Then again, clearly, like a lot of places in the galaxy, in Star Wars, there's a lot of poverty and, and people turning to crime and various informal and extra-legal economies to make ends meet. Clearly, that's a big thing in Star Wars. It's, it's interesting, too, because I think you're onto something, Jacob, because I think Haja did feel like when he realized who obi-wan was he was very like oh wow yeah like you actually are the real deal there was a respect there that was really interesting to me and at the end that was what made me think i would like to see more of this guy yeah there's there's more there's more to this there there is a story to be told here really it's not just oh the jedi they're dead so i took the I dressed in a bathrobe so I could make money. He is, a, he's a believer in something. It's not exactly clear what, but he is a believer. Yeah. In some and it asks that question, which I think actually with Ahsoka now out, I think it's a really, it is expand is expanding like the, the literature, you could say the ongoing ideas in Star Wars of this kind of thing, which is what is a Jedi? Haja is, of course, not Force-sensitive. But he was... There was some greed thrown in there, don't get me wrong. But he was doing something... He was acting as a Jedi to do something that, aside from the credits thing, a Jedi would do. I And I would argue this actually ties in with Sabine pretty well, too, because Sabine was not very highly Force-sensitive in Ahsoka. And yet she was doing things, she was fighting for the things that a Jedi, and struggling with the things that a Jedi would struggle with, and fighting for the things the Jedi would fight with. I think we're seeing a slight de-emphasis, and I think this is interesting. I'm not saying that all Jedi shouldn't, I'm not saying that it's, the Force is no longer as important as it once used to be in determining a Jedi. I'm just saying it's no longer maybe the thing that makes or breaks if somebody is a Jedi. That the tradition and the culture and the belief system is actually what makes somebody a Jedi. I think, too, in Ahsoka, she said training, discipline, that's part of it, too. So uh, being a Jedi. Yeah, the whole idea, like you're saying, I think the whole idea, the concept, like you're saying, Eli, of Jedi is very, it's fascinating. As much as it's changed from 1977 to 2023, it's changed a lot. I think yeah. for the good, though, too, because it expands. It's not black and white anymore. Or maybe as some, even myself included, once thought, right? And I like that, though. I like oh, them expanding that. Yeah? Absolutely. I, I'm going to fully disclose that when when we got those hints in the Ahsoka trailer, Shin saying, you have no power, all that kind of stuff, and Sabine with the lightsaber, I'm like, I really hope they don't make her a Jedi. 
I really do, I really don't. I, I really hope they don't. And not because I don't love Sabine as a character. I just felt like that would have been out of nowhere. But Dave sold me on it. But Dave sold me on it. But Dave sold me on it so well. And it is in that line that Kanan says in, in Trials of the Darksaber. The Force is in everyone. You just have to be open to it. And look, yeah. shameless Rebels plug from your resident Rebels fan here. But, me uh, too, also, buddy. Me also, too. Yeah, Reach you, on, Ryan. brother. Reach on. Reach it. That also explains why Sabine didn't have difficulty wielding the Darksaber the way that uh, Mando did. Um, actually, she did, but okay. Not in the same, not in the same way as, uh, not in the same way at all as uh, as Mando did though. In that episode in Rebels, it's difficult for her at first, but she's not. In, like, in, in Legacy of Mandalore, I'll grant that to you, but throughout the Dark Saber is all about how like how sloppy she is and how she needs to get better eventually. Yeah, but that's her learning. It looks like she's learning how to handle a lightsaber the same way that Ezra had to. Yep. It's not like she's staggering around and oh, I can't even hold it right. At least she's training with it. Like, did never is... actually trained with it. Yeah, and, and, that, and that kind of, that, that makes you go, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> maybe a little retroactive. Hey, wait, maybe we can... Maybe we can patch. Maybe we can patch this up here as as well if we make Sabine be a Jedi. So that was cool as well for me. Let's see. We have. Oh yeah. Oh great. Of course, we have one more thing before we want to lay up meet up, which is the fantastic line from of all people, Flea. Somehow, <laughs> <laughs> you're not a Jedi anymore, Kenobi. You're just a man. That's which, the one I was thinking of. Ties into, which ties into what we've been saying about like that that pairs so perfectly with the with the stuff we were talking about with Haja and Leia later on, where Obi-Wan genuinely believes that. And and there is still at no point does Obi-Wan turn on his lightsaber in this episode. Mm-hmm. At no but he uses the force that one time to lift Leia. But he all the rest is hand to hand combat. All the rest is hand to hand combat or blasters or something like that. He is still trying to reclaim the Obi Wan Kenobi that he once was, and it's not that it's all gone, but he's he has to, you, you have to work to get it back. He has to. It doesn't happen overnight. And speaking of people who are still trying to figure out who they are, I want to talk about our of course other our co protagonist or main antagonist, you could argue, of this series, Reva, where where she, her conflict specifically with Grandy here is greatly expanded in this episode. And there's that great line, all the power in the world can't mask the stench beneath, which I think really starts to crystallize Reva and her place in this series. Because she is not the hero, obviously. But she's not the villain either. Because the villains hate her. The villains think that she's unworthy of them. And so she is this interesting... She is the chaos agent in this story. Where... And I know that... There have been a lot of like, fandom menace shit about, like, oh, she's stealing the show away from Obi-Wan. I'm ignoring that because it's stupid. 
establishing her as that third protagonist or fourth i would say because obi-wan i was thinking obi-wan leia and of course anakin as this as again as this wild card as this you don't really know what she's going to do next is really interesting to reflect both off of obi-wan and bear i think what's interesting with reva especially if you if we take it into the context of these are the first two episodes we get out of the show right and we're introduced to this Riva character, right? We learn, we, in that first episode, we see her, we don't know much. And then like you're saying, Eli, this episode, we get a little bit more. We get that tension between her and Grand Inquisitor a lot. You can see where they're not on the same wavelength like him and the other two Inquisitors. And then you see that she definitely has some other motivations. And you get, again, sprinkles of who was she. Because, again, at this time, we don't know who she is. We maybe all have theories that she could be this or that. Like, where she come from? He mentions, Grand Inquisitor says, mentions something about finding her, like, in the gutter or something to that effect. Yeah. So, like, again, you're like, where, you know, where does she come from? Because, again, at this time, in the show, right, we have no idea. So, I think they did a really good job of sprinkling her backstory into the show and i think that really does they do a good job i think throughout the series but this episode is the one that really is interesting to me because again her motives are very different than the grand inquisitors and everybody else's she has she's very hell-bent on getting obi-wan back to vader and she even again the big thing for me in this in the episode one of the things is that she says she basically says Anakin was. I know who he turned into. And a lot of people, as far as we know, at the time, don't know that Vader is Anakin Skywalker. She does. Yeah. So again, it's like, man, how who is she, right? And I think that yeah. that's such she's such she was such a fascinating character for me in the entire series. But again, this episode, especially with that kind of knowledge of her knowing who Anakin was, know who he is, right? that he became Darth Vader and to throw that in Obi-Wan to Obi-Wan's face and know that's going to emotionally change him. I think it's just, she's a fascinating character and I really enjoyed her throughout the series. She's great. I continue to have more and more respect for Moses Ingram. Probably the increasing amount of respect I had for her before this, not only before for her incredible acting in this, but for her standing tall against the bullshit system bigots and hateful people were spewing at her we talked a lot about right. this in the last episode where you and i know i'm not i probably shouldn't laugh at this i just always find it so funny that Ewan was filming that video in his car <laughs> i just imagine he was driving and lucasfilm told him what was happening i was like shit i gotta stop and record this thing on my phone in my car and he put everybody on blast and i loved yeah. it yeah uh, no it was great too. i just he wasn't at his house it wasn't like it was just close to, it was in the driver's seat of his freaking car. That's how I, he evolved about this. He had to be he had to be in his car doing this. But speaking of Obi-Wan can and I, can I add one more yeah, thing sure. to the to the discussion? I know we we touched on this last week, but I'd wonder if you have any thoughts about this as well, Lauren. I think it's horrible the things that people freaking do and, and say and the way that Moses Ingram has been treated online. And I think that there's a media literacy lesson in here, as I said last time, a teachable moment where not if you don't like a character or if you 
think that a character is grating or annoying or sometimes that's on purpose and i think that's part of her character and i think that this whole yeah she is she is cocky she is way too over dramatic she is trying too hard to be intimidating and it is irritating the people around her because it's irritating to watch someone do that in on tv just like it is irritating in the real world of it's ridiculous obviously goes without saying almost to turn around oh it must be this actor's fault i gotta go i gotta go send her angry dms or at that's obviously ridiculous but i think the bigger picture here is like how do we it's a big the the biggest picture is stop being fucking racist and misogynist because we we can't talk about this without addressing that this obviously has some with the track record of geekdoms and fandoms and the internet in general like we can't ignore that shit but beyond that as well on a less serious level just think about the characters that you're watching some characters are supposed to be funny some characters are supposed to be scary some characters are supposed to be like irritating and make you roll your eyes a little bit that's part of it it's okay that's yeah, what makes I, an interesting character it, it, it wouldn't be interesting if she if she was just a it wouldn't be interesting if she was as intimidating as Darth Vader, because that's not who she is. And like, that's not who she should a, be. That's not the, yeah. We already have a, an Inquisitor who's trying to be as intimidating as Darth Vader and utterly failing. That's the fifth brother. <laughs> Never liked the guy. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, you know, to, to Jacob's point, though, I, it's funny because I think nowadays, you know, when you talk about media literacy, like, it's they want to know the whole character in the first five seconds. Yeah instead of letting the story play out because again yeah just like you're talking about the reason that she was acting the way was she's acting was because as we learn later on like anakin like completely took out her entire like jedi padawan friends she barely survives that she is enraged and wants to get get revenge right because of what she saw him do so yeah, her motivations are not going to line up with the Grand Inquisitors and like all hail the Emperor and all that. No, dude. She has other motives. And Absolutely. her motives is to get to, again, as we find out, if you let the story play out, kids, you find out her sole motivation was to get Vader. It was to go after Vader. Yeah. And to pull him out. Like, that was the entire point. And that's why, you know, again, this is why she was going after Obi-Wan. Again, we find this out, but in these first two episodes, right, you have to let, like, that she is different, that her motivations are different, but right, you're like you're saying, Jacob, that's part of her character. We're not supposed to be behind her, because she is a bad guy, right? She is, she's portrayed as that in these first couple episodes, so yeah, we're not supposed to root for her, but yeah, she's not going to be your typical, because she's not your typical baddie, because again, she clearly has different motives as we, again, as we find out, and as this episode tells us, that, yeah, dude, she knows more than a lot of people, right? Again, going back to the whole Anakin Vader, Anakin stuff, and again, she, just her motivations of not listening to the Grand Inquisitor, because again, she has this whole other plan that she's not telling anybody about, and that we're not aware of yet, because again, the story hasn't been told, we don't know where the series was going, and I would love more 
background on her. I would yeah, love no, a give, comic give us more novel something. Yeah. In the past, I would argue in the future. I remember after I finished playing Jedi Survivor, one of my number one wants for Jedi 3 was Reva as a presence in that game. I think That'd be cool. Her her presence and her journey in collusion with Cal's journey also struggling like somebody who's just recently come back with a breath with a brush from the dark and somebody who's still dealing with the darkness inside him like Talis, is something that i think would be really interesting for those two characters to interact with and i'd love to see cameron monaghan and Mud singram just go at it um oh that'd be great that. uh i want to get to when obi-wan and leia finally um meet up I just, I know we've been going at it for a while. I just need to add one more. I feel obligated to add one more thing since a lot of what I say about about the the third sister is this sort of my idea about her. For what it's worth, like she's not only an annoying character, and I don't mean to reduce her to that. That's just where my response to what people say about her takes me. She absolutely has her moments beyond that, and we do see her in this episode really gain a lot of attention and recognition from the viewer especially at the end when you're like oh my gosh like there's way more if she's willing to straight up try and kill the grand inquisitor like her boss so something serious is going on here and so that i'm not trying to i just want to put it out there that i'm not trying to i don't know what the word is I'm not trying to, to belittle. Reba. I'm not trying to belittle her character or belittle the great job that that Moses Ingram did or anything like that. By what I'm saying, I'm just saying that's how I interpreted the character. Let for the record, that's all. Yeah. No, I get it. I want to get to Obi Wan and Leia's interactions, which I just oh god, there, there's so many great ones. They're like we're just barely I feel like cracking into the real meat and potatoes of the show. I, I feel like we could make a top five for this one. Of, of moments from this episode, but two that come up come from come to me instantly are she'll just get the jacket and the gloves. <laughs> uh, only Leia would worry about getting the gloves she likes and make Obi Wan stay for it. That is like I could feel Carrie in that one. I could feel Carrie in that one. No, we're getting these fucking gloves. <laughs> we we are getting these gloves, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then the typical... You can can tell as well, if I can interject. You can tell as well that Obi-Wan has never engaged in caring for a child before. Oh, right? Oh, my God. In any capacity whatsoever. And it's hilarious. No, he he, he thought it was just going to be drop Luke at his aunt and uncle's house, and you're done. It's straight up new dad vibes. Like, yeah. Until we're off this planet, you will do as I say. Good luck. <laughs> She's dead. That was a parallel to Leia. That was a that was a parallel to Leia. I don't know if you noticed Man, that. Oh gosh, it was, really? He says, "What is it? From now on, you'll do exactly as you're told. You're, you understand." And Leia from New Hope. I don't know who you are, or where you came from, but from now on, you'll do exactly as I tell you. Okay, wow. to Han. Yeah. No, that's I a that's, oh, that's a okay. That's amazing. I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't no, even that's pick up on that, but pet, that's pretty yeah. great. That's pretty great. Yeah. That's That's awesome. Yeah, no, they know the Star Wars in here. And then the other, the second line I wanted to to bring up was, Farmers from Toll and you're my daughter. Granddaughter, maybe. What? Nothing. 
That was a total like, carry. That total was a carry. that was such a carry line. I could hear her saying it in my head. Like we've already talked about how much Vivian brings out that spirit of Carrie Fisher in this in this series last episode, but I cannot reiterate it enough. God, she is so good. I don't understand how a a nine-year-old can have that much talent. It is insane. She is so good as Leia. To uh, the core of who Carrie and how Carrie portrayed that character, I think Vivian, every note, especially like the lines you're saying, Eli, granddaughter, maybe, is just so, so Carrie and just so in the spirit of Leia, though, of how Carrie portrayed that character as an older, as an old, as the older version of her. It was so spot on. But even those little moments where she wasn't, because there's that moment where where Obi-Wan's, what are you, 10? Like, how old are you? And he's, and she's like, oh, I'm 10. Like, you don't act like a 10-year-old. And I love that because, again, so, so her character, so Leia. But then you get that moment of her being an actual kid, like, you know, when she's, you know, pressing him about being a Jedi, she's like, I hear Jedi make, you know, make things float, so make me float. Make me float, old man. Prove it to yeah. me. I just love that that aspect of how she does it, like being that kid. And then you see that older, more mature, who Leia has always been in some of those deliveries and some of those scenes. And she does such a good job. And I just, I hope we get more of her. I don't know how, when, where. I, I just want more of Vivian as Leia. She's so good. She's so She's- good. She is fantastic. And then we get, of course, to the that warehouse, which is, which I forgot how hard these scenes hit. Of course, we have uh, Obi-Wan pausing and Leia saying, what? And Obi-Wan saying, nothing. You just remind me of someone. She was fearless, oh too, and oh stubborn. Gosh. And what a I don't know how they would have done it. I really don't. I would have loved a Padme name drop. I really would. Even something as simple as her name was Padme or something like that, just to say the name out loud without having to do this many arm nudges and being like, you know who we're talking about. You know who we're talking about. You know who we're talking about. I I would have loved it too, Eli. I was okay, only because I think in the moment, in the situation, I think yeah, Obi-Wan was like, I can't say it. I, I don't want to. Yeah. Because that's no. a hard memory for him to even yeah. think about too. Even I know. probably just, saying her name out loud. It's just really a lot. very strange to me that. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, he is not mentioned in the series at all, not once. And I love this series, and it's an extremely small gripe of mine. Actually, I think we should probably get to the other small gripe of mine now, so I can get it out of the way. Which is, I remember when I saw this for the first time, I was not crazy about it, and I hate it less now. But I'm still never. It's still never going to land the best for me. Reva stabbing Grand Inquisitor was something I never really loved. The tension was immediately brought by the fact that we know he survives another four years until Kanan kills him in Rebels. Yeah. And it carries on one of my least favorite Star Wars tropes of people people surviving what probably should kill them. And for <laughs> a story reason that really doesn't... There, there were other ways to do that. Than just completely stabbing him, then completely st- stabbing him, and it's not a big deal. Obviously, we 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 saw that he got back to just in time, and that that such. 
I, I get it I, though. I, I get what you're saying you're coming from Eli because again, it, if you're a fan, I think my only argument or how I guess not argument, but how I think of it as fans, yeah, we know who he is. We know where where his story ends at the Grand Inquisitor. But like, if you're a general fan, say for instance, like my parents, my my brother, my sister, whatnot, yeah. they don't know. So that moment of her killing her boss, it's a shock. If you think of it in that, that's how I think of it in those terms. Like, yeah, I can see where people are like, oh, man, she's she means business, right? She's serious. Whereas for fans like us, we're like, what was the point of that? We know he's we know he survives. He doesn't die for like another four or five years. What do we do? I go back to the thing I go back to. I I think it was Alex Damon describing the first time when he and a bunch of his friends were watching that episode for the first time and everybody once when that happened they turned to him they looked at him and he was like describing he was like i was seeing all of the comments i knew i was going to get that next morning (laughs) about how the hell is grand inquisitor dying here and still alive (laughs) did we ever get an explanation for how he came back from that I don't know if we really got an official did, one, we did, did we? We did, and we did, and normally I would hate this explanation, but Rupert's friend's delivery of it is so damn good that I don't care. Revenge does wonders for the will to live. Okay, but that's not a real explanation. Like, no, did he just go full Darth Maul and just got? It, it's, just a, got it's a so Maul explanation, and I guess alive. if we're doing it with Maul, everybody loves that guy now for reasons I don't understand. I guess we can do it with Quizzy, who is a infinitely more interesting character. But whatever. What? Okay, agree. We won't get into this right now. That being <laughs> That's another said, episode. That's another episode. Feel, I just don't feel like the Grand Inquisitor is built the same as Darth Maul, who like he's the angriest. He's like probably the angriest Star Wars character ever. If we're being honest. Oh, oh yeah, but Maul. I'll, I'll have sure, to live yeah. with it. Next, I'll accept it. Yeah, I'll no, let's let's stop talking. Let's, solo, so let, let's, let's just we'll let's like stop it. talking about Darth it, Mid. We'll, we'll get we'll it. get on with that. I want to get to the final beat of this episode, which I thought was handled so beautifully, and it's not even funny how beautiful this one handled. Lord Vader will be pleased. You didn't know he's alive, Obi-Wan. Anakin Skywalker is alive. One of the biggest bombs in, of a character moment in Star Wars, arguably, in my opinion, since I am your father in Empire. And it is done so... It is, it, I love the moment that, it, that, that established it. Obi-Wan's been in hiding for 10 years. He had no reason to suspect that Vader was still alive. Zero. And the... What, what I always get back to in this scene is it's Ewan acting his heart out. Those facial expressions on Ewan are perfect. They are stunned, horrified, very saddened. Because he, because I imagine he's just now running through all of the horrible things that Anakin must have done as Darth Vader in the galaxy throughout these last 10 years because he didn't finish the job. Because he couldn't finish the job. And closing that moment where she's on a transport with one, with one of the characters who he wants to tell the most about this, 
but can't for her own safety is just that moment of the la- that last OE online in the episode where he just sits back, lays like somewhere else in the background, and he goes, <laughs> it just breaks me. It just breaks me. It is a melancholy recognition that I think was executed so incredibly well. It's a scene. <laughs> it's a scene because, again, as hardcore fans, as we all are here, that moment just means so much to that character, right? Because that's the first time he is knowing that he survived, that his friend, his best friend, survived that. After what he did to him in Mustafar, he survived and he became this evil dude, right? And for Obi-Wan to get that confirmation, maybe he thought about it, maybe he didn't, who knows? But for him to really be told that Anakin is still alive, that is such a, like you're saying, Eli, that's a big moment. That's a big moment in Star Wars for the moment that Obi-Wan finds out Anakin is still alive. We have that now. We have that on film. And it was treated with the gravity that I feel it deserved. Oh, yeah. And like you're saying, Um, I think his his acting was so good in that scene because it was little little dialogue from him, all facial. All it was all facial expressions. expressions. It was that right. was that was and, it. Um, and I think for me, I, I, and I know you brought up like he has to be thinking about you know what he could have stopped. For me personally, how I think he's thinking of it is just disbelief, and just like you're saying, the sad, like more sadness than not knowing that what he could have stopped. Because I don't. Again, he's been away for ten years. He doesn't know. Maybe not what has been going on in the galaxy, right? Because he's been in hiding. I think it's just him realizing that his best friend is still alive, that he could have probably gone and found him maybe and try to say and try to save him. But he doesn't know what he's done yet. Maybe not. Like I said, maybe not. We don't really know. But I don't know if it's so much for him. Maybe later on he probably feels this way though, Eli, that he he wish he would have got back into it and maybe stopped him from doing what he did. But I think it's just the the realization that because of what. Because he left his friend just there burning, and he wanted to save him, and he loved him as a brother, and for him to realize then that guy is still alive, that's got it's just the heartache, the break, the sadness. I think is but, what he's emotionally has to be going through for sure in that moment. Yeah, and absolutely, it's it's about the friend, but like the thing I remember people arguing about this online because they said this before that. Anakin at the start of the, the Obi-Wan at the start of the series doesn't know that Vader is alive. Mm. But he does know who Darth Vader is. Because he does hear that name on the security holograms, and he knows who Darth Vader was before oh. he killed him. So even even though of course he wants his friends back, he wants his friend back, he wants his little brother back, basically. He also knows what the Emperor did to him. He also knows what the Emperor did to him and also what he decided to do himself as well. Absolutely like, what he did to him, yeah. The, the, the person that Anakin chose to become. It's not right. that Anakin's alive. That's not the reveal. Yeah. It's Darth Vader is alive. I got, for yeah. me, I always, and you're totally right. I always, I've always been the, 
Anakin's Vader, Anakin. I clump them together. Yeah, I you know. Too. I'm so, just saying, like, but, specifically, but I, oh, right. leave that in the moment. I think, and you're totally right. I think it, it is more of the Vader name is the thing that yeah. clicks, right? It's not the, yeah. and obviously she says Anakin later on, but she says Vader first. I, I'm with you 100 percent on that. That it's the Vader name that triggers him to think, oh crap, that means my friend is still alive or Anakin's yeah. still alive. That person yeah. is still alive. So yeah, I think that triggers the whole the emotions and everything like that. As much as I 100%. personally don't believe, uh, I I personally believe that Vader and Anakin are very much the same person. Mm, I fair. don't think that Anakin believes. Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I I don't think that Anakin believes that. that like I think that Vader's goal was to do, and there's, and he says this quite a few times of like trying to eradicate as much of Anakin Skywalker. Possible, right? Um, because he knows Anakin, the person of Anakin, is the again is more of the Jedi, the more of the light side person. Yeah, I, he, it, he wants it to be a secret that he right. was Anakin. Like he really invested in making sure that stays a secret. And I think, and I guess, just again, I, I, I've always just been that way of Anakin's Vader, Anakin, and I think, especially with Hayden and how he has talked about being the character. And he's and he talks about he's always he's brought up the fact that for him as the person playing these this character, he has always and I think he might have said this at celebration in London in a roundabout way again I'm paraphrasing but like, he feels that like they are one yeah. like you're saying he, like, there is a difference right? Vader is a is not Anakin they are yeah. two separate people but it, what Hayden was basically saying is that like he sees them as one like two sides though, of the same right? yeah. no right. absolutely i i wasn't trying to get into semantics i was just oh no that, yeah that's a whole no, no i know yeah. what you're saying though. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and then i think we should should get to vader himself what a <laughs> the ending of obi-wan kenobi part two is a classic example for me and i think obi-wan does this a lot actually of something that should not, in theory, in my mind, work, but absolutely mm. does. A Vader suiting up, like a like a Vader post pseudo suiting up scene at the end of Obi Wan Kenobi Part Two is could have been done in a way that was so cheesy and build up for build up's sake, but it's a blood pumping, hype building moment. It's oh no. Anakin has figured it out. He sensed Obi-Wan's back, and that means that Vader is back. And mm -hmm. some part of Anakin is back. And there's the, I'm just imagining Anakin doing the, Anakin in that scene, like waking up in the back to, and the GTA meme, the shit, here we go again, meme. It, it plays in his head as he's just like, oh no, it's Obi-Wan again. God damn it. I'm gonna have to deal with this now. And what a way to end the episode. And again, yeah. thinking it in the context of they dropped the first two. Yeah. Now we have to ending wait. A week. <laughs> now we had to wait a week ending, to see ending, what was happening. Waiting a week to see Darth Vader actually say something, do something to yeah. And then of course we'll get to this next episode with, as I will always affectionately call him, horror movie Vader, <laughs> the creepy, grotesque stalker. That he becomes in that episode on Mapuzo, which I'm so excited to dig into because it's it is a side of Darth Vader that I never knew I needed. But yeah, no, it was a great 
it, it's a great ending to the episode. We, yeah, we've gotten to the end of this episode. I think Lauren and I have expressed our unwavering love for this episode. Actually, I'm going to turn to Jacob first because I think your opinions have been a bit more mixed than us, so feel free to correct me. No, I think you're I think you're right. I, I do have mixed feelings about this episode, but overall, especially after talking about it with you all and hearing and benefiting from what you guys have to say and your insights that I may not have picked up on. There's a lot to love in this episode. And ultimately I think it in my mind it suffers from pretty much the same problems that overall kind of hold Kenobi back for me from really being in on my top level my top shelf of of what i consider my personal favorites in star wars i mean that being said there is a lot of great stuff in this episode those final scenes are magnificent it really is a treat getting to see han uh, Han, gosh sorry it's getting to see obi-wan and leia do their thing i expressed that i'd overall i did maybe didn't love what it did for the overall execution of the episode but kumail nanjiani Really interesting character, really thought-provoking and very funny and a fun addition. Um, so overall, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really creative, it was a very creative and energetic episode with a lot of heart and a lot of memorable moments. And I think that with that in mind, I can forgive that the execution wasn't at the level of some other great moments in star wars that's what i think about this episode so you i'll hand it over to you guys now that's really fair jacob i think again as a single episode in star wars it has some good moments for sure and even in the series it i I think eli you said it before too it's not my it's not my personal favorite either but there's but it's still good (laughs) <laughs> like those last few minutes are so good and for, for perspective let's i'm gonna put it like this okay they did a ranking over at the bombad cast of they did a tier list rank their live action live action star wars episodes and i had more mixed thoughts on book of both and andor and mandalorian there were some f tiers in there there were some a tiers there were some b tiers occasionally maybe even some c tiers sometimes this was my Obi Wan Kenobi, S A S no sorry S A S N. The worst that Obi Wan could get is A tier, which is still the second highest tier for me. That is how for me how brilliant this show is. I understand that there are people who don't love this show. I understand that, and this is not the place for them right now because I'm going off about this show. This show is, I, I think also it, it's a con, it's quite a big contrast for me because we're going, coming from Solo, which is a movie that I very much enjoy, but Solo and Obi Wan Kenobi for me are night and day. Um, That's fair. Where I have some really, I have some issues with Solo, but there are of course also great moments in that movie, of course. But this is just like, yeah, volume here a little bit. Yeah, some canon stuff a little bit. But other than that, just perfection all across the board. Hitting the beats of these characters, hitting the beats of these themes over and over again. Yeah, Um, again, this episode is really, again, I think it's a good, it was a good two, again, in context of them dropping these two together, it was a good way to end that with this episode, right? Because then I think from 
this episode moving forward, it really, I think for me, the series picks up and the story gets better. You have a lot of other different, like more information on Reva and everything that comes through throughout the rest of the series. But I think this, ep especially this episode, I think it really sets the tone of, okay, this is where we're going, right? It sets yeah. the adventure. Whereas in the first episode, it, it like you guys talked about, it sets the scene, right? It puts the players in on the chessboard. We see where everybody's at. And then this episode takes off and starts yeah, that starts, journey. This Star Wars. Building, yeah. 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 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be it for this episode of Star Wars and Galaxy. Next week, of course, we're going to be doing part three of Obi-Wan Kenobi with first-time guest of Star Wars and Galaxy somehow. I don't understand how this man is coming on for his first time as a guest of Star Wars and the Galaxy, given how much this sh both of us have had to do with him in the past year. We are getting the greatest trivia player of all time, the Bombad Man himself, Mr. Scotty J. Rowe, oh boy. On, on Star Wars and the Galaxy for part three. Yes, we are, covering, we are covering the Darth Vader horror scenes with a guy who once stood on an Anaheim balcony in a Paul Stanley <laughs> cosplay and yelled at people at downstairs who were just trying to like go to Disneyland. Oh, I love that man. That's gonna be a good episode. I can't wait to listen to that one. I, I fucking love that man. Anyway, but but until then, uh Lauren, where can we find you? Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is always fun. I love talking Star Wars, especially with you guys. So Thanks for having me on. You can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it now. All the social media platforms, really. You can follow me at Low Row Nose. And then you can follow the Galactic Podcast at the Galactic Pod on all the social media platforms. And we're on Apple Pod, Google Play, <clears throat> Spotify, all the major platforms. So go check it out. That's me and my cousin do the Galactic Podcast. And we have some fun talking about Star Wars over there. So take a, check us out. Go listen to us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Lauren, for coming on here. You can find us everywhere on, at In a Galaxy Pod on all social medias. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you're if we if there's not a podcast service that, that we're on, please email us fwinagalaxy at gmail.com where you can email us with your questions and trivia and fun facts if you want. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I have as of this, this is the first recording that I've uh, since I've begun to do this. I am Right now, I got off of it a long time ago. I know I, I sucked about it, but I've been posting our backlog of episodes en masse to YouTube from 80 episodes before now, from our episode 41, which posted as of this recording yesterday. One will be coming out every day on YouTube. I've been rolling them out. I've just been like putting graphics over them. My computer probably hates me from all of that exporting and that final cut is done. But no, I've, this is the second day I've done straight of doing this. No, sorry. The third day I've done straight of doing this. Um, and I'm already up to about a year ago. Th this will probably be out on YouTube by June, probably something like that. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, and, and watch Epic Confrontations on uh, the Star Wars and Galaxy YouTube channel. We should have our next episode, Andy versus Brandon, coming out very soon. And until next time, I think all there is to say is may the Force be with you. Always. Always. Always.